As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to another classic replay from the archives of Unbelievable. We hope you enjoy the conversation and do let us know what you think. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk and leave comments on our Facebook page, Premier Unbelievable, or tweet us at unbelievablefe. For many more resources to help both believers and skeptics to explore faith, please visit our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there will unlock access to all content on the website, as well as giving you special access through the weekly newsletter to exclusive content such as bonus videos and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now, here's today's unbelievable classic replay hosted by Justin Briley from 2016. Well, today on the program, we're asking, have atheists got the wrong God? In God is no thing, Rupert Short argues that many atheists have misconceived God. He writes that Richard Dawkins et al. literally don't know what they're talking about because the God in whom they disbelieve is an idol resembling a blown up creature. Well, uh, in the book, he makes the case for coherent Christianity, covering the rational case for God from philosophy, uh, who Jesus was, the resurrection, the cultural wealth of Christianity, understanding scripture and experiencing faith, all within about 100 pages. It's not a terribly long book, but uh, he does cover a great deal of ground. Well, Rupert joins me on the show today to talk about the book. He's the religion editor for the Times Literary Supplement, and he's written biographies for Rowan Williams, Pope Benedict, and a book called Christianophobia, a book on the global persecution of Christians. And joining us to discuss whether God and Christianity can be coherent concepts is Jeremy Riddell, Dialogue Officer for the British Humanist Association. As an atheist, he'll be interacting with Rupert today on whether he has made a coherent case for God. Gentlemen, welcome along to the programme today. Hello, thank you. It's great to have you both with me, both new to the programme, I should say. Uh, So it's lovely to have some fresh voices on the show. Um, let's introduce you first of all, Rupert, as the author of this uh, new book. Um, you've, you've written a few books in your time, most of them along religious lines. Um, that's partly, I guess, because of the role you hold at the Times Literary Supplement. But um, what sparked this particular book, God is No Thing? Three years ago, I entered the Hazlitt Essay Prize with an essay in defence of Christianity, and my agent then suggested that I might turn it into a... um, uh, make it the basis of a a short, um, punchy reply to to the new atheists, as Mm. they're known. And as you're aware, Christianity has been under... well, religion in general, but Christianity in particular, perhaps, has been under very sustained intellectual attack 
uh, over the past decade or so. I don't think um, that any of the arguments are really new. They they um, hail back to uh, controversies that took place, for example, um, between the wars mm. and which many people uh, might have thought had been um, kicked into the long grass. But they've nevertheless uh, resurged and they've been very popular. The, these um, screeds, polemical works, call them what you like, have uh, sold in their millions. And I thought that it was uh, mm. it was reasonable to bite back a bit, yeah. as it were. Uh, not the first person to do so, in a sense. And I think was getting on for 10 years ago now that the, the God delusion came out, which probably ca- characterises a lot of the literature you're referring to. But um, you, you felt that, um, I mean, the title of the book, maybe let's talk about that. You, you feel that very often these books that are, you know, making the case against God have, have got the wrong God in mind, essentially. Yes, uh, Richard Dawkins is, of course, a distinguished um, zoologist, Um we had the same inspirational biology teacher at school, actually. He, he's sometimes um, uh, cited, uh, dear Mr. Thomas, who's now well into his 90s, as a, an inspirational force. And about a generation later, I, I sat in the same classroom with, with the same... Um, you mean you went to the same school? Uh, I went to the same school. I, uh, I don't think that Professor Dawkins has, has ever acknowledged publicly, at least not in my hearing, that... Uh, Dear old Mr. Thomas happens to be a a devout Christian. Right. Ever since I was um, at school, really, or not long after, I have been very interested in the the challenge of how one might articulate a Christian worldview that Mm. is philosophically and scientifically literate. And this is the result. Right. Your own journey, um, were you raised in a Christian environment? Did did you have any agnostic period or anything like that? Uh, yes and no in terms of formation. My parents were um, nominal Christians, somewhat lapsed. We went to church once in a blue moon. Um, religion wasn't really discussed uh, at home. On the other hand, I did attend Christian schools and I was a, a chorister in an Anglican choir, uh, although I'm a Roman Catholic myself. So I did absorbed quite a lot by osmosis and I decided that I would like to study theology at university which I I duly did innocently imagining that this would help me to clarify my views (laughs) on uh, religion and you won't be amazed to hear that I I ended up a lot more confused at the end of the course than Mm. I had been at at the beginning and I would say that I had a good few years of agnosticism uh, I was sort of at, at odds with the establishment in in two respects, really. One, one in having a Catholic background, and and in in uh, secondly, because I I didn't really believe a robust version of the faith, and I didn't go to church for a while. That my worldview came to take on a Christian shape was uh, a slow process involving quite a lot of reading and living and uh, interacting with with Mm. other people who showed me the way. Obviously, partly an intellectual process, uh, partly a spiritual process, if you can divorce the two. Yes. um, This is a tricky one. Comparatively few people come to faith as a result of intellectual arguments. Many, many people are... 
are not interested in, mm. in technical arguments about the existence of God, but they do ask questions about how to live. Mm. And in terms of religious practice, I would be among the first to say that it's not a question of the God hypothesis, as Richard Dawkins has has called it. You don't you don't inspect the faith as it were under laboratory conditions. You don't think your way into a new way of living. You live your way mm. uh, into a new way of thinking. You you set out on the way and religion is really about about practice. It's about yes. doing things that change I, you. I like the way one friend of mine put it recently. He, he said, uh, the gospel doesn't need defending, it needs living, uh, which I thought was quite a, a nice uh, way of putting it. That's right. And, and the, the, there's a, a, a line that's dear to me, you know, watch how you go. You, you, you may be the only gospel that other people ever read. But having said all that, I... I am bullish in the early sections of the book on philosophical and mm. conceptual yes. matters, which I think tend to be rather overlooked. Everywhere I go, whether I'm in a cab or in a cafe or, or in the pub, I meet world-renowned experts on religion <laughs> who tell me what I as a Christian believe, which is invariably a total caricature, and then tell me that I'm an idiot right. for, for believing it. And amid all this comment about religion being a, a projection, religion being a, <clears throat> a nice, comforting fantasy, let's leave to one side the moment, uh, for, for a second um, the fact that it, most Christians, I think, would, would consider their faith to be at least as much of a challenge as a, as a comfort. Um, there's... There's a conceptual slackness to my mind in, in all of this because it, it is not possible in the term scientific naturalism allows to say how anything could exist at all. The ultimate question of why there is something rather than nothing I think ought to bring us all up, up short. Well, yeah, and... Rupert Short is the man <laughs> bringing us up short with the uh, with the questions that are raised in this book. God is no thing. It's a really good book, by the way. Um, it reminded me a little bit of a sort of kind of an academic version almost of Francis Bufford's Unapologetic. I think um, you've appreciated his his writing as well, haven't you, Rupert? But, that, that's uh, a wonderful book, and I, I wouldn't claim to be in in his class, but he's very generously supplied yeah. an endorsement. And slightly less swear words as well. <laughs> but um, in any case, um, great to have you also joining us today, Jeremy. Um, you. Jeremy, you're the uh, dialogue officer for the British Humanist Association. Briefly, what does the dialogue officer do for the BHA? Well, what it means is uh, we obviously don't like the term interfaith because we're not a faith. Mm -hmm. But it does mean talking with people who have different beliefs. Well, you've come on the right show then. I um, hope I have. <laughs> unbelievable. So um, I, I'm first time I'm meeting, actually, Jeremy. So do you want to give us a little background to, to your background as an atheist, as a humanist and so on? Yes. Um, so my father was Jewish, very non-religious, liberal Jewish. When and my mother converted to liberal Judaism when she married him. Mm -hmm. She was... Uh, um, uh, lukewarm CV, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I went to, and uh, I, I was sent to Sunday school and uh, uh, learnt a little bit about Judaism in that. I must admit, I rather rebelled against that. Um, 
I was at a school where our morning assembly was actually in the parish church, which was next door to the school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I rather liked that. I mean, it was a beautiful old um, 15th century church and uh, stained glass windows and and uh, the, the hymns were nice and, you know, culturally very, yes. very attractive. Mm. But, of course, when I read the words, I thought, well, I don't believe a word of this right so um so i went through the typical journey when you go to university and you meet a lot of people with diverse views uh, i was very interested in buddhism for a while i still think there's some very sophisticated uh ideas in buddhism which um in terms of, of time in particular and presence in the, in the in the moment which we should could take on board mm-hmm. but by the time i left university i was pretty clear i was an, a- an atheist i didn't believe in mm-hmm. god mm-hmm. uh i thought i was fairly clear view about morality, about ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took you know, 25 years before I realised that the views I had, there was a label for those views. Mm-hmm. And it was only because I had a humanist wedding because I didn't want a religious wedding. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what humanism was. Uh, found these people on a website and they, you know, the celebrant did a fantastic job. And I went back and thought, well, what are these people about? And I, right. and I read about it and I thought, Oh, yeah, I'm that's a humanist, me. it turns I out. I didn't know that. that. And okay. that is, a, is not an uncommon experience. Sure. Yes, and I understand the, uh, the humanist weddings and naming ceremonies and so on becoming very popular they these are. days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, obviously, um, have, you, have you sort of interacted with the kinds of arguments before that, course, that Rupert yes. has, has brought, yes, I brought mean, over in the book? You don't live in this country sure. for decades without encountering these, these discussions yeah. and these arguments, of course. Uh, up yeah. to this point, obviously, you've never felt you've been given a compelling case or rationale for no. God. No, no. Um, uh, have, have you ever sort of gone on any sort of search in that direction? Have, has you, know, you, you obviously had a pleasant experience of church as a child, so yeah. it doesn't sound like it, you particularly had anything to rail against in that sense, but, but you, in the end you've, you've felt that Christianity doesn't have anything... Yeah, I mean, I think what you. I rail against is is uh, what I perceive as as faith based privilege mm. and uh, imposition of faith based ideas on, on me or broader yeah. society. So I, some of that does make me, you know, it, it motivates me to act. And I think uh, I'm sure we're going to have a very civilized discussion mm. here. And I, my belief is that uh, you know, Rupert and I probably have huge overlap and huge area of common ground sure. in terms of we're both liberal thinkers. Um, but that isn't characteristic of faith and Christianity globally in many, many examples. And um, so I, I'm very concerned uh, uh, that, uh, in, that right, uh, right now, you know, there are many, there are countries in the world where mm. you can be executed for being an atheist. Right. Well, and, we'll... Uh, that's a very yeah. significant thing. We'll talk about uh, secularism and uh, Christianity and the global Mm. situation a bit later on, I think, in the programme. But for the moment, thanks for joining us on the show. We're going to be asking the question initially, have atheists got the wrong God? And if you'd like to interact yourself with this question, perhaps send me an email with your thoughts on today's show. Uh, You can, of course, email in unbelievable at premier.org.uk. I'd be happy to read out some of the uh, emails next week on the programme and we'll be hearing some of your feedback to recent editions of the show later on in today's programme. You can also find us online at premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. Perhaps you'd like to add your comments underneath the latest 
latest programme, perhaps find us on social media at UnbelievableJB for Twitter, facebook.com slash UnbelievableJB if you want to follow the show on Facebook. And uh, do, uh, do get in touch. It's always good to hear from you. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. So we're asking, have atheists got the wrong God? Uh, Rupert Short's book, God is No Thing, argues that many atheists have misconceived God. Um, believing in a sort of an idol resembling a blown-up creature, he says. Uh, that's often what he encounters when he's interacted with the literature of the so-called new atheists. Um, let's talk about this a little bit, um, because um, what, what, what do you think fundamentally many atheists you read get wrong about God? Well, I think you've summed things up. Uh, very well, Justin. I mean, if if God were like the um, celestial headmaster or great science professor up in the sky, represented by Richard Dawkins, then certainly I I too would would count myself a, an atheist. Um, but of course, that that isn't the God of of classical Christianity. I, I think. Um, uh, if we we look, for example, at a, at a figure like um, St Thomas Aquinas, who, who really does encapsulate the, the classical Christian tradition, he, he wasn't really concerned with some enchanted world beyond science's powers of disenchantment. He was interested in, in pressing more and more deeply into a scientific account of the natural. Um, for already in that world there were things which only his religion would be able to explain and so in other words god god isn't supernatural in the way that that term is normally mm. understood if, if we were to call god supernatural it wouldn't be because he's quote-unquote extra natural mm. um, but because he's the author of nature itself and so both inside and outside do you get the sense that sometimes the way that god is characterized in the literature it's as though you've you've got the universe, and then you've got this extra entity that is God, who who dwells outside it. Yeah, yes, it, it, exactly. So, I think the classical Christian um, doctrine of of creation out of nothing uh, really helps us along here. Uh, it, it's not that the world is made out of something, mm. and um, be- because the world is is made out of nothing, and that can't be accounted for in naturalistic terms, then everything at all times is radically dependent on God. It's it's um, rather a mind-bending I mean, notion. Everything has its own integrity in scientific terms, but in the same way that a canvas supports a painting or a, or a minstrel supports a tune, God is the underlying force, mm. presence, holding everything in being at any given time. What, what um, Paul God, God, God and as, nature operate yeah. on, on different levels. I, I think Paul Tillich used the, the phrase the ground of all being. That's the sort of, uh, seems to be kind of what you're, you're describing. Yes, and now, because almost. God isn't a thing, um, God can be closer to me than I am to myself, mm. as, as uh, St. Augustine says. Um, and I do, I do want to just press back to this this business about why there is something rather than nothing mm, because mm. Richard Dawkins and his allies have tried to represent this as simply one more stage in a 
a chain. Science has got us this far, and it's going to get us a little yeah, bit. So, so there. Lawrence Krauss, for instance, is is that, that's the epitome right. he, of of this. In that, his, in that's his right. Book. He's 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 had the. Um, uh, the ghoul to to write a book called A Universe, Universe from, from Nothing. Nothing. I yeah. was having dinner last night with a um, a scientist turned theologian who who said to me, "I think um, uh, Professor Krauss is a, is a great scientist, but 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 not a a great philosopher." When you look carefully at that book, I think he uses the term "nothing" in about four different ways. Each of them is productive. A quantum vacuum is not nothing. Mm-hmm. Space-time is not nothing. The laws of physics are not nothing. Um, you need to go to a um, uh, a theologian, Dennis Turner, to have a um, to, to get hold of a, of a more philosophically rigorous definition of what nothing really is. Nothing, he writes, has no process, no antecedent conditions, no random fluctuations in a vacuum no explanatory law of emergence, and there being nothing for, quote-unquote, something to be Mm. out of, there can be no physics, not yet. For there is nothing yet for physics to get an explanatory grip on. Now, that that might all sound a a little bit dry. I, I want to stress that philosophical reasoning of this kind it, it takes you to the threshold of a faith, but it's mm. very important to say that um, that faith is a gift, and it doesn't doesn't get you beyond the threshold. But I would like to steer a middle way, really, between a form of reasoning which is a little bit more associated with mm-hmm. Catholicism, which I, I think does try to uh, construct a kind of ladder, mm. as it were. Mm. And a more, or an understanding more associated with Protestantism that that places an emphasis on on faith, and I, I find it it helpful, um, as a as a Christian interested in 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 these arguments to to resort to th- to a, a sort of a three stage process in particular. I would start to build my framework first from an awareness of ourselves as embodied beings with the capacity to grasp meaning and truth. Um, Second, I would want to look at the process of seeing our status as entailing a gift, prompting Mm -hmm. awe, gratitude, and a heightened sense of ethical awareness. And third, an acknowledgement of that gift as grounded in a reality that freely bestows itself to us. And I would... I would want to say to the atheist, I wouldn't for a moment uh, question your right to hold your the worldview that you hold. A- atheism is a, is a reasonable worldview, and if there's a heaven, I don't doubt that there will be many atheists, perhaps former atheists by, by that stage, with, with south-facing rooms. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, while we're still stumbling about on, on Earth, I would want to say gently to the atheist, what does the cosmos have to be like for there to be moral truths which we can detect in the first place? And isn't the theist entitled to argue that belief in God provides a much more secure home for our for our impulses than the idea that moral truths somehow 
float around in a platonic yes. limbo or that they're just a matter of subjectivity. Mm. Um, that there are there are serious arguments here that yeah. I think that the, well, you, that the theists can lay on the table. You've opened up a, a lot of ground there already. Um, I'm sure you've come across a number of these issues issues before yourself, Jeremy. Yes, I have. Um, I mean, shall we start with that, that, you know, going back to Thomas Aquinas, that that whole thing of um, why is there something rather than nothing um, and and so on. Has this ever struck you as a a difficulty as an atheist to explain the very fact of existence? Um, or, or do you just sort of, I don't know, take it as, as a sort of brute fact of, of our well, experience? Well, it, it is a brute fact, because we're here having this conversation. Indeed. Um, so, I, um, I mean, I think that the, we, the answer to that question, though, is that nobody knows. And I think one of the things that, um, uh, listening to Rupert's argument, I'm, uh, uh, it was going through my mind, is that actually the this God, this very sophisticated conception of God, which uh, Rupert is talking about, which I uh, will come back to that in a minute, um, is actually becoming just a sort of label on the answer to the question to which we don't know the answer. And uh, we do know a lot more than we used to know about how the universe, the universe we're in, which may be one of many universes for what we know, came into existence mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, a, a physicists are getting pretty close to that. Um, there are th- there are aspects of that which are conceptually very difficult for somebody who doesn't have the maths to to do it. You know, uh, do you think the we'll get to a kind time. of? Do you, do you believe we can it? get a physical explanation though? Because I think the the point Rupert's making is you're 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 going into a different, completely different territory. Yes. When, when you know, you'll never get if you're if you're always looking for a physical mm-hmm. reason. Mm. That that will never get you to an explanation of why there is something rather than nothing, in the end. Um, well, of course, the, the, there's always, there's always a question about the first cause thing. So if mm. there's if there's God, then why is there God, and what's the cause of God? So you, you're just pushing the the bump in the carpet backwards. Um, you know, we we don't know the answer to all of that yet. It may be that you know the whole idea of a chain of of causes in you know, that relies on time on things you know words like before and after but time itself is may have a uh, you know it is part of the creation process and we i'm not sure as as animals that have you know started in the, in the savannas of east africa and have done pretty well to actually understand as much as we do about the universe you know we are still making progress on that mm. for all i know we may come to the point where we can't get our heads around it, you know. Right. But but why should we better get our heads around it? Because we are not evolved to get our heads around it. So, but it, the the fact that we can't doesn't, to me, doesn't mean therefore you can therefore say there was a a deity mm. is involved in that. It seems a, a non sequitur. Well, I'll let Rupert respond to that in a moment. We've got to go to our first break. Uh, time is flying by. And we're asking, have atheists got the wrong God? Rupert Short making the case for a coherent Christianity on the programme today. And uh, also with us, Jeremy Riddell from the British Humanist Association. I'm Justin Bradley with Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking with interesting conversations between believers and non-believers every week. Do join me again after a short break. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. 
As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to today's programme. I'm Justin Briley and on Unbelievable today we're asking, have atheists got the wrong God? I'll reintroduce my guests in a moment's time. Don't forget that if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can email in unbelievable at premier.org.uk and we'll be reading some of your feedback to recent editions of the programme later on in the show. Uh, You can find us online as well, today's programme, and where you can comment there at premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. Uh, You may be interested in finding out more about Unbelievable, the conference as well, 2nd of July. If you're interested in making the case for Christianity, making a coherent case for Christianity, well, we're going to have some top thinkers and speakers joining us for that conference in London on the 2nd of July. More details at premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable 2016. Have atheists got the wrong God, we're asking today. Uh, Rupert Short, in his new book, argues that many atheists have misconceived God. God is no thing, he said, but he's not nothing either. Um, And we've been hearing uh, in the the first section of today's programme about the some of the philosophical arguments that Rupert brings to bear in the book for the rational case for God. On the other side of this conversation, Jeremy Riddell, dialogue officer for the British Humanist Association, has been responding, and um, we'll get to much more, I'm sure, in the course of the programme, gentlemen, but, but uh, what uh, he had to say to you there, Rupert, Jeremy, was, um, he, as far as he's concerned, these things are mysterious, um, science is always progressing, uh, we may, we may not get to... Uh, and a complete understanding of of how the universe came into being but god is not an adequate explanation it just sort of pushes the explanation back because then you you have that kind of question well what caused god and so on um it's a bit of a non sequitur as far as being a, a an an explanation for why there is something rather than nothing yes jeremy does raise uh, an an important challenge but i think it's it's only an insuperable challenge if you think of god as as a thing, as an agent whose um, agency displaces other things, um, another counter on the table, if you like. Christianity, and indeed other traditions in, in positing the existence of the Creator, is trying to point really to a different order of being. It's the idea that the, the universe does have an ultimate ground, namely the Creator, um, but while God's existence is inexplicable to us, uh, it is explicable to God. I just 
really sum up my view by saying that reason infers the existence of causes from the existence of effects without always being able to infer the nature of the causes from the nature of the effects. And what applies in, in mundane spheres is all the more applicable, it seems to be, in a, a unique area of discourse such as creation. I remember one theologian of my acquaintance saying, Richard Dawkins knows what God is and knows that God doesn't exist. And this theologian said, I, for my part, feel sure that the, that the entity named by Christian tradition as God does exist. But what God, what God is in God's self is a subject on which I can say uh, nothing at all. We're, 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 in the, we're in the realm of, of mystery here. I think it's very important to acknowledge that advocates of, of religion need to display due humility here. Sometimes people have gone way beyond the the, the natural perception of the, the, the mystery of existence. Somebody like Thomas Aquinas thought that too too much religion was, was as bad a thing as too little, by which he meant, I think, that fundamentalism, what he would have called superstition, is a very bad thing. Mm. I'm saying in a nutshell that... Belief in God is is a valid inference of metaphysical reasoning. You can't have something unless something else gives. I mean, that is that is science, as understood by ancient pioneers such as Aristotle and by science today. And I can't myself make sense philosophically or scientifically of an endless sequence of contingent causes. St. Thomas said it, it wasn't possible to establish by reason whether the, the world was created in time or whether it had always existed. As a Christian, of course, he trusted in the biblical revelation and held that the, the world was created in time, but he granted in dialogue with pagan philosophers that it could have existed forever or at least that that, that, that view was reasonable. But he also added that contingent totality, even if the world had existed forever, would still require the agency of the primordial being, being itself, that is God. And he he distinguishes between two kinds of causal chain, which I I find helpful. Um, A father can um, give birth to a son, and that son can in turn father a son of his own and each element in the sequence is discrete it's separate but he wants to draw our attention to what he calls an essential causal chain suppose you're holding a stick and you're pushing a stone the stone moves because it's propelled by the stick the stick moves because it's propelled by the hand the hand moves because it's propelled by your arm and so on in a sequence Mm -hmm. that involves your nervous system, molecular structure, and ultimately the four fundamental forces in the universe. Well, maybe not ultimately, because behind that, on a Christian understanding, rests the uncreated agency of God, holding, sustaining everything in being at any given time. And I do want to stick with my principle that contingent reality is not its own explanation. As I've said before, that that really should give us all pause. Okay, where are you going to go with this, Jeremy? 
Well, I think there are a number of things uh, that uh, Rupert has said, uh, has said there, which obviously I, I, I don't agree with. Firstly, I think that the the idea that that uh, there is this series of, of, con- of uh, contingent steps, and that there's a first one of those, and when I would say, well, okay, what was before the first one? The answer is. Uh, well, the first one knows of its own creation, but uh, that's mysterious to us. Well, to me, that's a you know that's that's illogical. So I think we don't know the answer to this, and I don't think I know don't know it, and I don't think uh, Rupert knows it either. Um, uh, um, but I mean, one do, thing: do, do you believe that there has to be a kind of first mover? In I don't sense? know. I you don't know. know. I mean, you know, I mean, who, Rupert believes there must be because yes. you, you you can't. You can't have an infinite regress. But is, who is, says is, you can't? Well, I guess logic and philosophy is is what <laughs> Rupert's drawing A lot of people, other philosophers say you, you can. So, I mean, I don't know. I think we just have to be humble enough to say, you know, on that question, we may know the uh, everything about what the the uh, causes uh, uh, um, uh, of, of, that, of the universe we're in, but then that pushes the question back into, you know, what, what lies behind that, and maybe we'll get some insight. I don't know. But this is, you know, this is stuff that we're investigating, and maybe, or maybe not, uh, we will find an answer to it. But to then to come up with, put a, a, a damp towel around your head and, and think, I'm Thomas Aquinas, and I can find the answer to this by thinking about it, seems to me a rather arrogant approach. I mean, I, you know, we don't know. Let's be humble. And um, so, so the overall impression I had reading Rufus' book is just reinforced, uh, I suppose, a humanistic view, which is that religion is a man-made creation. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few women in there, not very many, actually. But it's, it's a human creation. And a lot of this, the things we've just heard from Rufus, they are just made up. Now the thing about uh, the, about um, uh, science, uh, and I'm not going to say that the science is the only thing in the world because I'm a human being and my subjective experiences, you know, are not science, scientific, but the causes of them are. But uh, at least the thing about science is it does doesn't make things up. It tries to find things out and is willing to change its mind when new evidence comes along. It's not sitting in your in a room with a, a damp towel around your head thinking about it. And um, and I think that's a more respectable way of trying to understand the universe than speculation. Rupert? Well, as I've said, I, it's not that I w- would deny that, that atheism is a, a reasonable worldview, but I would stand my, by my belief that the theistic understanding is more reasonable. Even our virtue is not directly perceptible to us it, it's part of our interpretation of the world that we we perceive with with our senses i think we're both agreed that we are dealing here with a fathomless mystery that the disagreement simply lies over over where whether there's a an answer or not and in in the um epigraph to the the book i quote a a line from um a theologian called, called Victor White, which I think sums things up um, nicely when he says, St Thomas's position differs from that of modern agnostics because while modern agnosticism simply says, we do not know and the universe is a mysterious riddle, a Thomist says, we do not know what the answer is, but we do know that there is a mystery behind it all which we do not know. And if there were not, 
there would not even be a riddle. This unknown we call God. If there were no God, there would be no universe to be mysterious and nobody to be mystified. Jeremy? I think that just makes my case for me, actually, (laughs) uh, because it's really saying that God is the label of the answer to the question. And if if it, it feels better to use that term as a label and then fine but i i think it's just a label on uh, uh, of something that we that that is we haven't yet defined and may never never define it's but when we use the term god it carries with it a whole baggage of other things which some of which rupert's just referred to which i can't see have anything to do with the the fact that we don't know understand why there is something rather than nothing I mean, one of the things, uh, for example, Rupert mentioned was moral truths and virtue. Mm. Now, um, as if the, these things have some sort of objective existence mm. and you know, that, that, that um, morality is, is something out there in the universe. You know, to be discovered. To be discovered. Um, now, it's interesting that one of the things that, that uh, uh, Rupert rightly um, emphasised about Christianity is the emphasis on of love thy neighbour as, as a core moral mm. moral precept. Of course, that isn't unique to Christianity at all. Of course, every ethical worldview there's ever been has the, the golden rule in it, and and I, I'd certainly subscribe to that. It's, it's not perfect in every case, but it's pretty damn good, and. The um, and the reason we have that rule isn't because that it's something out there, but it's it's come up in all these different circumstances with people who didn't believe in in God or Christianity in the sense that Rupert's talking about, simply because we're social animals that need to live together in in in, in harmony, and we have the we've evolved the ability to empathise with others, and that means we feel others' suffering. And, mm. and we seek to. So, alleviate so you, that. you see morality so, as a purely a, a kind of construct of our social, um, our, our evolutionary emerge, history. It, it's emerged it from us. Doesn't, as doesn't social exist being. anywhere other than, if you like, within that societal kind of yes. complex that we've created. That's right. Yes, I mean, I, mean I, I have a feeling you you don't agree with that. Rupert. Yes, I mean, I already said earlier in the conversation that I, I, I you know, it's not that that. Um, morality proves God. It's that our experience looked at in the round is hospitable to a a theistic interpretation, Mm. let's put it like that. And I would add that although general reasoning can get you um, what you might call Aristotelian morality, the the cardinal virtues, fortitude, uh, justice, temperance, and what have you, does it really quite hit the spot? Does it it get you to to grace and forgiveness, which is... um, what I see as as being at the the heart of the the Christian understanding, I'd I'd also like to to just move the the conversation on a, a bit now, having um, cleared the ground a bit. It, it, it was helpful to hoof around the the subjects we've done so far, but it it is very important to emphasise as well that these arguments don't get you to to a living faith, and I I'm just conscious of of the way that um, you know a, a figure like Pascal. Um, thought that God can be expected to appear openly to those who truly search for him, but to remain hidden from those who don't seek. There can't really be spectator evidence of God's existence, as though this most mysterious of quests could be resolved under under laboratory conditions. You haven't asked me to try to to define God yet, and of course that's, uh, that's an impossible task. 
But in, in the book, I do um, quote a, a line from Rowan Williams, which I think is, is among the, the, the pithiest mm. uh, attempts at a definition that I've come across, combining um, spiritual and intellectual elements. And he said, in answer to a question from Melvin Bragg, God is first and foremost that depth around all things and beyond all things into which, when I pray, I try to sink. But God is also the activity that comes to me out of that depth, tells me I'm loved, that opens up a future for me, that offers transformations I can't imagine. Very much a mystery, but also very much a presence, very much a person. Now, the vision articulated there comes out of years and years of prayer and discipleship. It doesn't come out of of abstract um, Mm. reasoning. And I'll just add that the book is above all trying to say that the the Christian understanding of the world is a coherent one. It's worthy of respect, not to be lightly dismissed. I'm actually not trying to convert anybody by writing this book. I move in a pretty secular world i i work on on fleet street in a in a uh, a setting where um few go to church and it seems to me you know not not at all that monotheism is logically coercive but as i say that it that it is a reasonable interpretation of the data of our experience in 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 the round and and part of that going back to the original question that that jeremy had being that you do conceive of there being this real moral realm of real moral virtues and duties and, and so on, which which is not well-founded in atheism, but, but does make sense on a sort of theistic world. I th- yes, I do think that atheism has a, has a little bit of a problem with what's known as, as a problem of, with why there's something rather than nothing, and also with the question of normativity, what philosophers it's the term used by philosophers to encapsulate the objectivity of morals. Now, two or three generations ago, it was reasonably common for philosophers to say, well, moral beliefs, they vary from society to society. They're, they're, they're pretty subjective. There is much more acknowledgement these days of the objectivity of morality. The conviction that torture is wrong and that compassion is good. They're, they're not relative to, to, to and, different and, cultures. And they, they are, one is, one is right and the other and, is wrong. And therefore you're saying they're not simply a construct of our social evolutionary history? No, either. I mean, in, in the end, I believe that they are rooted in, in a transcendental object, name, namely God, and God being perfectly good in himself and the source of all created goodness... Um, supplies us with um, uh, a means of, of navigation. And my goodness, I mean, I would be the first to say that uh, that, that compass is available to um, non-Christians as well. There, there's a, um, a, a proof text in John's Gospel, John fourteen six, which is sometimes seen as the, the proof text of Christian exclusivism. It's when, when Jesus is represented as saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. My book, uh, I should emphasise, Justin, is um, targeted at um, 
shallow, infantile, authoritarian versions of Christianity, um, as well as caricatures on the part of, of unbelievers. And I um, would want, want to come down like a ton of bricks on Christians who think that that verse means that you will fry in hell unless you're a paid-up Christian. It doesn't mean that at all, because the, the, the me referred to is none other than, than the word of God, which, as the, the prologue to John's Gospel makes clear, enlightens the hearts of all human beings. The, 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 the word of God, God's um, wisdom and reason, is uh, in all of us because of the belief that um, we are all made in the image of God and, and therefore have that spark of divinity in us. There's a whole lot of things uh, that uh, uh, that covered there. I think, could I go back to this question about morality? Because I think one thing I would certainly reject, and I think we would be in full agreement here, is, is moral relativism. I'm not a moral relativist. I don't know anybody who's a, a humanist who is. Um, but I think what, again, it comes down to uh, some humility here that we, you know, we have... Uh, a sense of universal human rights, for instance, which is is an intensely more, uh, applic- uh, application of, of morality. Um, but uh, we're still learning how to apply even this simple rule, the golden rule. So if we take the example of um, attitudes towards homosexuality, for instance, to me it's a, it's a no-brainer that if two people love each other and they want to get married... Um, uh, that they're going to be happy as a result of getting married. Um, therefore, it's an immoral act to prevent them from doing so because you're, you're reducing human well-being and you're increasing suffering. Now, it's taken us quite a long time in human history to realise that that's an, an application of the golden rule. For all I know, there may be other things to which we're today blind, which in the future... Will come, but the, the, the difficulty is that, that uh, the way, and I, I, Rupert's advocating a very sophisticated form of Christianity, but the way uh, uh, Christianity and most or, organised religions have worked in the past is they have sought to apply a set of rules and say, well, we understand what, what the meaning of that rule is. And if they take that particular example, the result has been you know, prejudice and suffering. I mean, I suppose for me, the the question is, if you accept that equality is a good thing, Mm -hmm. and um, it's good if society moves in the direction of equality for all people, I suppose my my fundamental question is, uh, this may be your question as well, Rupert, I don't know, but but wherein does that that value come from? Um, uh, why, Why should we be looking for an equal society? What is it that makes those truths true? And I would say, again, it comes back to where the golden rule comes from, which is it comes from uh, learning in every society, you know, of, of any background, that that, uh, and also our innate sense of empathy, um, which we've evolved for some reason. We definitely have got it. Humans have it. With what if we so- hadn't evolved it? What if we had evolved into a society where, um, you know? it was generally seen as the best thing is to get what's yours and not share with well, others. Well, then and almost certainly if there have been societies like that, they've not succeeded. Well, some societies do exist around the world which, which don't yes. don't really operate by the golden rule. That's true. Um, 
So it, it does happen. Yes. And, and they yeah. still exist. Yes. So the question is but why... They, why, they why not overall been been successful so so and even those societies will apply some restricted form of the golden rule that they might say well we apply it to our lot but not the other lot you know right so which obviously we could easily argue uh, our way out of so I, I you know i think you can very easily see how that 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 these rules aren't given to us from the outside they're things that we that we have evolved and we are these you know conscious beings on this incredibly insignificant planet on an arm of a, a galaxy with a super massive <laughs> black hole if, in the middle if, of it? If know. someone isn't applying the golden rule, yes. do you? Do, what's the reason they should? Why would you tell them they should be? Is it because you're messing up the progress of our species? Um, because you know, but they might turn around and say, "Well, I've got no absolutely no interest in." You know, no, no, but I think there obviously are people that are that, and we call mm. them criminals usually, uh, unless that they're doing it in a way like the prejudice against homosexuality, where in fact the society in general sanctions that non-golden rule behaviour, immoral behaviour, which has been the case until quite recently in in that particular ex- example. But what we tend to do is say society has decided that there are certain ways you've got to do it, and we have a set of laws which. Are, are always we're seeking to improve every every day, and if you do go around murdering people, you will be prevented from doing that by the law, and mm. you know so that that's how society works. Do you want to come in on this? Well, I I think we've uh, um, we, we've talked a, a fair bit about the philosophical background. I um, just just a few uh, random observations really. Um, the secular liberal ultimately believes in justice. The the Christian does not ultimately believe in justice. The Christian believes in forgiveness, and that is, to my mind, a a, a, a reframing of morality and a um, an enrichment and an opening up. Um, the Judeo-Christian um, revolution in the history of ideas is a huge one. Ancient religion mandated human sacrifice. The weak went to the wall. Um, there was absolutely no conception of a, a connection between religious practice and ethics. When the uh, children of Israel framed a, a morality side by side with their monotheism and taught that care for the widow and the orphan was integral to, to religious practice that that really marked them out and I, I see Christianity as a continuation and a, a, a radicalization of that but we've we've got to be clear I mean the the, the Christian repertoire peace forgiveness um, humility purity of heart um, they're like grains of salt I mean they they enter a society without necessarily changing it at, at root am I I mean it, it, it's absolute, It's plain as a pike stuff if you read the gospel that um, slavery for example is incompatible with Christian teaching am I surprised that it took Christian societies a very very long time to get rid of slavery um, no I'm not really um, horrific though it was it, it was so rooted in Really, every human society that's that's achieved a, a certain level of of wealth. 
I would like to stress that I, I support gay marriage, I deplore homophobia in the church. I am glad that I can do this. <clears throat> I mean, it, 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 it's fine that um, secular liberals have reached similar conclusions on, on the basis of, of their own reasoning. Um, I am pleased that I'm able to um, count myself an ally of Jeremy by looking at what I see as the the underlying message of, of the Bible, which is one of of radical self-giving love for, for the other. We're going to have to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment's time. We're talking about whether atheists have got the wrong God. We'll be concluding our conversation between my guests Rupert Short and Jeremy Riddell in a moment. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. So um, coming back to you, uh, Jeremy, uh, do, do you think in the end that um, many atheists have got the wrong God as far as uh, Rupert elucidates it in this book? I, I think in terms of as Rupert elucidates it in the book, um, yes. But in terms of how what many the God that many believers believe in, no. And I think if you take, uh, obviously we've, we've uh, been talking about the, the new atheists are referred to a lot in the book and, and obviously Richard Dawkins. Um, and uh, I know he does a lot of work in, in America um, and you know th- that's a society where uh, atheists, there's prejudice against atheists, very marked prejudice against atheists and where very simplistic and crude in Rupert's terms, versions of Christianity are very strong and dominant and um, and where the fight for those people who can see that, that, that well, why believe in this, is 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 precisely against the type of conception of God that, that uh, you know, the sky, the sky God mm. um, that uh, Rupert uh, criticises. So I think it's true that what Richard Dawkins is, is, is attacking isn't the sophisticated intellectual uh, God of Rupert's book. 